Okay, g'day, mate. Let's head it over to Tucker Carlson. See what's going on with the talk. And welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Tuesday. Sometime in the last 10 years, the people who run New York City stopped caring about the millions of American citizens who live in New York City. How do we know that? We know that from watching what happened to the city. Ignore what they say, watch what they do. So shortly after Bill de Blasio became mayor in 2014, for example, a huge number of drug addicts and mental patients began living on the sidewalks. That's not good. And it increased. Over time, there was a 65% increase in homelessness in New York City. The streets, not surprisingly, got visibly dirtier. The smell got much stronger. Been there this month? Public urination was decriminalized by Bill de Blasio, and many people took advantage of their new freedoms. And there was, of course, a lot more crime. After local politicians pledged to cut law enforcement by a billion dollars a year, many cops decided it wasn't worth enforcing the law. Too much risk, not enough reward. So the number of police stops declined by more than 90%. So what happened to burglaries? Oh, they jumped 40%. Car thefts by almost 70%. Shootings doubled. So what would it be like to live in a place like that? Well, for many in New York, life just became intolerable. And a huge number of people simply left. Not that anyone in the mayor's office seemed to notice their departure. Average New Yorkers noticed. They understood perfectly well that city government had no interest in their well-being. But that did not mean that local politicians stopped caring. Oh, they cared more than ever. They just cared about different people. New York's political class shifted its focus from concern over citizens, that was their old constituency, to deep concern about illegal aliens whom they considered the future. As the new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, explained during his campaign, when a foreign national breaks federal law to come to New York, that person must be rewarded with lavish, publicly funded services. Watch. Think about it. Uh, the days I spent uh, with our essential employees, a substantial number of them were uh, undocumented. Uh, they were delivering our Uber Eats. Uh, they were stocking our stores. They were out in the streets keeping our city running. Let's have immediate translation services to assist that people can have access to the services that are already available. We have to expand uh, NYC care to make sure everyone has health care. We need to make sure we have proper translation services in our schools so that we can start building out the future as well. And I, too, take my hat off to the state Senate. Uh, that was the right thing to do, because when an immigrant walks into the store and buy a loaf of bread, no one asks, what is your documentation? Yeah. Exactly. Whatever you want. Driver's licenses, publicly funded sex changes, anything. Giving non-citizens law lawbreakers whatever they want is the right thing to do, said Eric Adams, as the entire Upper East Side packed its bags to move to Palm Beach County. But illegal aliens must be catered to. Free transportation, translators, any language you want, health care, voting rights. There can be no limit to what we give to illegal aliens because they are good people and we are not. Muriel Bowser, the similarly incompetent Democratic mayor of Washington, D.C., strongly agreed with this. Illegal aliens must get everything they asked for, she said, and some things they've never asked for, including the city's assistance, avoiding arrest for the crimes they've committed. Watch Muriel Bowser. In Washington, D.C., we value our diversity and inclusivity. Uh, and being a sanctuary city means that we are not a nation of the federal government. It means that our police will focus on uh, serving D.C. residents, protecting and serving them no matter uh, their immigration status. Hi, I'm Muriel Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C. Here in the nation's capital, we support the thousands of immigrants, green card holders, dreamers, and those with temporary protective status 
who make our communities better. We celebrate every immigrant who is now a part of our D.C. community. We celebrate those seeking citizenships and those who are not, and those who are still trying to navigate and figure out what's best for them and their families. We stand together and say, no matter what your plan is, D.C. is here for you. Muriel Bowser meant it so sincerely that she hired people in leotards to stage interpretive dance to celebrate illegal aliens. All this played out during the Trump administration. Sitting at home in seclusion in Delaware during the presidential campaign, Joe Biden was watching all of this, mouth open as he ate his jello, nodding vigorously. Every Democrat in the country seemed to agree with this. Illegal aliens are holy because diversity is our strength. Our diversity is our strength. And our unity is our power. And I say to them, our diversity is our strength. Our diversity, it is still and always will be one of our greatest strengths. Our diversity is one of our greatest strengths. That when all of God's children come together, we're going to show you that our diversity is our strength. We share an innate understanding that our diversity is an enormous strength. They all know the line, except Joe Biden who had to read it just to make sure he got it right. And by the way, how did our former president from Hawaii wind up with a Southern accent? That is one mystery that was never solved after eight years in office. But whatever, diversity is our strength. And once he became president, Joe Biden promptly put that slogan into practice. How? By opening our borders to the world. And of course, millions of people poured in. This was called the equity agenda. Now, for the country, this was tough and very destabilizing. Millions of brand new people, many of whom who don't speak the language, almost none of whom have an American level education. The largest human wave in our country's history at exactly the moment when the country can least afford it. So it was tough. But naturally, many of these new arrivals gravitated to our biggest city, New York, because they were welcome there. They saw the new mayor and the old mayor, the mayor before that mayor, all talking about how welcome they were in New York. So they went there. What happened then? Well, that's interesting. Here's the new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, from last week. Now watch this and see if you can detect a difference from the first Eric Adams clip we showed you about illegal aliens. Here he is. We're reaching out uh, to the federal government and stating uh, this is a real burden on New Yorkers as we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, we already, as I stated, we already have an overburdened shelter system. So now we're talking about, as you stated, food, clothing, school. This is going to impact our uh, our schools because we do not turn away individuals because they're undocumented. Uh, translation services. There's just a whole host of things that this is going to produce, and that's why we need we need help. <laughs> Wait a second. He's gone complaining about the cost of translation services. But 20 minutes ago during his campaign, he was telling us we have to pay for translation services, but it turns out that functional states, the federal government now has to pay for translation services and schools and shelters and a host of other costs because illegal aliens may be great in theory. We love them, but in practice, illegal aliens are expensive. Eric Adams just learned that. It turns out that importing millions of poor people doesn't actually make you richer. As you just heard Adams put it, this is a real burden on New Yorkers, the ones who are still there. Now, to be fair to Eric Adams, he's not the only sub-genius who is having this realization tonight. 
Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C. is having it, too. Remember her plan to run a sanctuary city that's open to, quote, every immigrant? How's that going? Well, here's an update. How significant is this influx? How many people? Well, this is a very significant issue. Um, we have for sure called on the federal government uh, to work across state lines to prevent um, people from really being tricked uh, into getting on buses. Um, but I fear that they're being uh, tricked into nationwide um, bus trips when their final destinations are places all over the United States of America. Oh, they're being tricked to come to a city that invited them and promised them every conceivable service, including legal defense against our own government for breaking our laws. They're being tricked. Okay. In other words, illegal aliens are our strength, except when they actually show up. When they show up, it turns out they're dirty, dangerous, and expensive. That sounds like classic white supremacy. And there's no reason these new non-Americans have to put up with it for a second. Now, Democrats in New York have been telling us for years that illegal aliens ought to be allowed to vote in our elections. Okay. Why don't they? Newly arrived Haitians and Salvadorans and everybody else who's here illegally should organize into a political block and bounce Eric Adams out of office. Here he is attacking you like the racist he is. You don't have to put up with it. Democrats have told us illegal aliens are as American as anyone who was born here. More American, actually, says Joe Biden. Okay, it's time to act like it. Border jumpers should use democracy, the mechanics of our system that is now their system, to install an illegal alien mayor of New York who actually represents them. It's only fair. Let's hope it happens tomorrow. But even if it does, it will not solve the bigger problem. The bigger problem is a lack of diversity. Immigrants are supposed to make America more diverse, but in practice, they usually head to places that are already pretty diverse. Brooklyn, for example, is only 35% white, pretty diverse. One place they almost never go is to towns where Democratic voters live. Strangely, and you can check this if you want, it's on the internet, the party of diversity is led by people who strongly, overwhelmingly prefer all white neighborhoods for themselves and their families. And that's just weird. No diversity for the diversity promoters. No doubt it's an oversight. They just haven't thought of it. But we can fix it. We can do this. There are an awful lot of Democratic donors in Aspen, Colorado, for example. That's an overwhelmingly blue place. It's also nearly all white. What do we do about this? Well, how about an airlift? We've done this before. The Berlin Airlift, it was called. It lasted for 15 months from the summer of 1948 to the next fall. The U.S. Air Force delivered millions of tons of desperately needed supplies to the suffering people of West Germany. Nearly 80 years later, the Berlin Airlift is still considered one of the great humanitarian acts in our history. But there's no reason we couldn't repeat it. Think big. Imagine an Aspen Airlift, a national effort to rescue the people of Aspen from the suffocating prison of their own whiteness. Instead of food and coal and medicine, the Biden administration could deliver an even more essential life-saving commodity, and that's diversity, into the cultural wasteland of Pitkin County, Colorado, which, if you can believe it, as of tonight, is only one half of 1% black. Into that, Joe Biden could deposit Haitians and Somalis and Congolese, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, Guatemalans, Ghanaians, Algerians, the entire population of the Cape Verde Islands. We can do that. We're America. And why stop with those countries? As of tonight, there are still 4 million people living in the impoverished state of Oaxaca, Mexico. Do you care about them? We do, because we're good people. So why shouldn't a quarter of all Oaxacans move to Aspen by next ski season? And to be clear, not move there to run the chairlifts at Snowmass, 
move there to ride the chairlifts at Snowmass, to benefit fully from the economic bounty of that isolated, blindingly white mountain community we call Aspen. Is there anything more American than that? Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. There you go. Aspen is America's new golden door. As former FBI director Jim Comey, himself an attendee at the Aspen Ideas Festival, once put it on Twitter, quote, this country's greatness and true genius lies in its diversity. Well put, Jim Comey. Well put. It's finally time to bring some greatness and true genius to Aspen. But we can't stop there. Why would we? Next stop in the equity train has got to be Martha's Vineyard. It's a natural. Joe Biden took 70% of the vote on that small Massachusetts island. Over the past four years, according to FEC data, 92% of all donations from its biggest town, Egertown, Massachusetts, went to the Democratic Party. So you probably imagine Egertown is pretty diverse. I mean, the Obamas live on the island, right? No. In fact, we checked at last count, Egertown is 95.7% white. What century is this? As of 2019, only 3% of all people, all residents in Egertown were born outside of this country. So do the math. That's 17 people total. That's effectively zero diversity, which means zero strength. They are begging for more diversity. Why not send migrants there? In huge numbers. Let's start with 300,000 and move up from there. As the island gets stronger, more. And then on to Malibu. Another Democratic community, 84% white. Malibu went for Joe Biden with 69% of the vote. 64% of all political donations from Malibu went to Democrats over the last four years. Why not diversity for them too? Why not a Malibu airlift? How about Burlington, Vermont? 86% of the residents there voted for Joe Biden, who believes that illegal immigration is a gift. 77% of political donations from Burlington over the past four years went to the Democratic Party. And yet it's still troublingly white. Time to decolonize 84% white Burlington. These towns are crying out for help. Martha's Vineyard above all. And there's bipartisan support for this effort, by the way. Michelle Obama, ladies and gentlemen. We grew up in the period, as I write, of called white flight. Yeah. That as families like ours, upstanding families like ours, you know, who were doing everything we were supposed to do and better, um, as we moved in, uh, white folks moved out because they were afraid of what our families represented. And I always stop there when I talk about this out, out in the world because, you know, I want to remind white folks that y'all were running, running from us. And you're still running <laughs> because we're no different than the immigrant families that are moving in, the families in Pilsen, the, the, the families that are coming from other places to try to do better. And so, yeah, I felt I feel a sense of injustice. Uh huh. It's Michelle Obama lecturing white folks again. And you can kind of see why, because white folks, as she just told us, are afraid of her. When she shows up, they leave. But the weird thing is she moved to Martha's Vineyard, a massive oceanfront estate, global warming be damned. And white folks didn't leave. They stayed there along with Michelle Obama. Huh. So maybe we need to diversify Martha's Vineyard immediately. Maybe Michelle Obama is just trying to be the change she wants to see in the world. 
maybe she's leading the way. Maybe we send the next 300,000 illegal border crossers on charter flights to Edgartown, Massachusetts, then on to Brookline, Mass., and Georgetown, D.C., and Malibu, Bozeman, Burlington. There's no reason the Rio Grande Valley should have all the benefits of diversity. Victor Davis Hanson has watched all of this happen. He is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. He joins us tonight. Um, Professor, thanks so much for coming on. So you see this massive disconnect. You have this party that's openly and very aggressively anti-white, the Democratic Party, and yet its leaders, including its leaders of color, like the Obamas, live in all white neighborhoods. How long can that continue, I wonder? Oh, I don't think it's sustainable. And, you know, what's new about the border, uh, Tucker, it's not porous. It doesn't exist. They blew it up. There is no such thing as federal immigration law. It's almost an insurrectionary to use that term. It doesn't exist. And you ask yourself, why why are three million people going to come in the first two years of the Biden administration? And the answer is, it's the manifestation of this bi-coastal elite that's never subject to the consequences of their own ideology. Exactly. They want vaccination. Anybody that's not vaxxed in the military, out. Anybody in the federal workforce, out. Three million people come in untested, unvaxxed, no problem whatsoever. Walls are ossified, they're calcified, they don't work. But my estate, I gotta have a big wall in Malibu or Atherton or et cetera. And then schools, we have to have a diverse school, but my kids are gonna be at a private academy. And I love diversity, but only as an employer that hires cheap labor. So this is new, it really is, it's nihilism. And, and it, it really begs the question, why are they doing this? It's almost like it's a psychological projection so that they're, they know they're guilty that they live apartheid, segregated, existences, and they don't want to change it, but they think by performance art, virtue signaling in the abstract, I'm for diversity, I'm for open borders, then that squares the circle of their own privilege. And I think everybody's on to them. There's only one, I think, optimistic chance, and the the Hispanic vote, and especially the Mexican-American vote, who is the community most impacted by flooded social services and, and schools that are can't handle this influx and increases in crime, if they vote 50-50 for Republican or conservative candidates in the fall, believe me, you will hear the 1992-1996 Democratic Convention rhetoric of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the Clintons, on how we have to have legal-only immigration, because they will not want to import people who, within a generation, are, are innately conservative. And, you know, just to finish, you mentioned all of these hypotheticals that were really interested. I could add, add one modest one. As we speak, Tucker, our major universities are in recess. There's about four million dorms nationwide right now that are empty. Yes. And we yes. hear all this virtual signaling from Sanford, Yale, Princeton. These are the ideal places. They have open housing. You can bring in illegal immigrants. You can fly them in. They have medical schools that could offer medical assistance. They have legal uh, law schools that could offer legal assistance. They have interns that could help with uh, immersion English programs. This would be the solution to the problem. The universities could step up and say, we want to reify our rhetoric with concrete action. We've got the facilities. Bring them in. I think it would be a wonderful, noble, and moral experience if our college president stepped up. And let them stay and get, you know, let them repopulate the universities, yeah, turn over Cornell absolutely. to MS-13 and make yeah, them students I, in the fall. Their, their, their endowments can pay for it. Uh, they should. I couldn't agree more. And I love that idea. Victor Davis Hanson, thank you so much for suggesting that. Thank you. So Chuck Schumer shilling for the government of China? Yes. Schumer has removed a key provision from Senate legislation that would have banned U.S. companies from manufacturing key products like semiconductors 
in China. This is a massive threat to America's national security. What is Chuck Schumer doing exactly and why? We'll tell you after the break. Okay, having a look at uh, Twitter. All right, uh, my friend Laponius got blocked by Rob Henderson. So Rob Henderson is a graduate student. He writes about a Boston Globe piece from 2018. Interesting study of the relationship between the social class and beliefs about rules. So the upper class respondents were more likely to write down negative words such as bad, frustrating, constricting, while working class participants consistently wrote down positive words such as good, safe, and structure. So for the lower classes, rules provide moral order in a world of turmoil, while the upper classes uh, prefer the bohemian approach. And so Laponius responded, sure, buddy. That's why the elites were double-masked and quad-boosted with a mystery product that they knew nothing about. You HBD types are really boring. Okay, and then you immediately got blocked. Of course you got blocked because you were gratuitously offensive. All right, you weren't trying to have a dialogue with Rob Henderson. You were just insulting him. And so for all these rebels online who just castigate the, the stupid elites who you know get vaccinated and boosted and, and wear a mask, well... You go eat mystery product. You buy food from the supermarket, right? You buy coffee from Starbucks. You you buy milk, right? You buy Coca Cola, right? You haven't assembled these products. You don't really know what's going on in them, right? You you trust the the system as much as the elites, right? You're just a rebel online. Where do you keep your money? You keep it in American banks or Canadian banks, right? You trust the system just as much as the elites, right? You go to the grocery store and you trust that the products you buy there are safe. Why do you trust the products that you buy there are safe? Because food and drink is regulated by the government, the same government that regulates medications, the same government that regulates vaccines, all right? So you're only a rebel in your rhetoric when you're online on Twitter, right? You, you haven't put all your spare cash into Bitcoin, right? You, you haven't bought into crypto. You haven't put every spare dollar into crypto because you really don't trust the system because uh, the elites are really trying to, you know, destroy us. They're trying to kill us all, right? So all this rhetoric about being, you know, a rebel and, and the elites are so stupid, you trust the government just as much as the elites, effectively. You just use a lot more transgressive rhetoric about it online. And so there's just as much evidence for the safety of vaccines as there is for the safety of foods that you buy at the supermarket. Now, Mickey Cow says he is quite bored with the vax mask wars on, on either and side. One in five people have had it. How could we not be at herd immunity already? Yeah, whatever happened to herd immunity? Remember we were going to hit herd immunity? I, I think I started hearing about that in April of 2020. Whatever happened to herd immunity? Asking for and a the friend. The answer is the vaxes don't give immunity. Oh, I think, I think definitely uh, by the reckoning we were hearing two years ago, we would be at herd immunity. That's true. The, the, uh, I mean, one thing that's clear is that the, the vaxes wane in their power with respect to antibodies. Not so much with memory cells, but, uh, you know. Mine, mine went pretty fast. They tested it. Oh, really? Yeah. But you I, went... That's why I, before, I think I did it. Before I got the booster, they, they do a test of antibodies. They give you an antibody test. Oh, I didn't get one. I was right on the line of, you really got to gotta, get a booster, and sure, you can get a booster. But well, yeah, I, but again, I, I, I mean, I was in 11 and 10 that got off. But you in no event really had to, had to, had to get one, because you still had the memory, the memory cell stuff that's going to keep you probably from getting gravely ill. That's not what my doc told me, but he's not a man of many words. So. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, I just thought it was uh, it was interesting that we sort of nobody nobody has definitively said no, if people this is part of the reason that the, the CDC is so not respected. Or maybe I just don't listen to Fauci enough. Does he ever get on TV and say, "Okay, we thought we were going to get herd immunity. Forget it. That concept is no longer relevant, and here is why." I I make a point of not listening to Fauci. Uh, so I don't know. I, he just uh, you know I I, I used he, to love him. It's bizarre. Yeah, but he is. I just feel like I don't know somebody who is supposedly in charge of this whole thing. It can't be him. He spends all his time doing media, and he's you know I mean who is nominally in charge of the of the well, media? boss who just just reached retirement age, and Wait. I guess he's being replaced. Wait, who is that? So apparently, I misunderstood Laponius. He's arguing that Henderson's analysis is wrong. Elites are no more rule breakers than other people. That wasn't Henderson's analysis. He was quoting a 2018 article in the Boston Globe that asserted following the rules, according to this rhetorical study, was more important to the lower classes than to the upper classes. So obviously, elites and more intelligent people have much lower crime rates than working class people. $50 billion to the semiconductor industry would also provide billions for, quote, domestic science investment and education, those called the CHIPS Act. So because it's for domestic production, until recently the bill contained a provision that would have barred U.S. tax dollars from funding semiconductor manufacturing and research in China. But then Senate Majority Leader, the ever stealthy Chuck Schumer, stepped in and removed that from the bill, thereby helping China. Washington Free Beacon is reporting tonight the Republicans were completely caught off guard by this. What is this about and what effects will it have? Jonathan Pelson is the author of Wireless Wars, China's Dangerous Domination of 5G and How We're Fighting Back. He joins us tonight. Mr. Pelson, thanks so much for coming on. Um, you, I, and I should say that th this was the business you were in for quite some time, so you're deeply grounded in this topic. Why would Schumer do something like this and what will the effect be? Well, China has figured out how to play our Congress like a fiddle. They've got, uh, they know that American companies are going to lean on their representatives, senators and, and uh, congressmen and say, if you pass this law, you're going to make me move my manufacturing out of cheap locations in China. We supply the Pentagon. You want us to be a healthy industry. You want us to donate money to you. Just give us one little loophole for this product, for this part of the, the uh, device that we're making. And then the senators and the congressmen start changing the laws until it's so full of holes, it doesn't do what it was intended to do in the first place, which is move the secure, important technology back onto our own shores. So I just want to go back to something you said a second ago. China provides critical technology to the Pentagon. Is that still true, do you believe? Well, we would never put Chinese technology into a missile. And yet, as we know, and we talked about this this past spring, Tucker, our nuclear missile sites are all supported by Huawei uh, cellular systems that can listen to or at least observe the conversations that are going on. So we draw a line when it gets right up to the Pentagon, but there's companies that are supplying the government that also are making products and they want to be able to make them profitably and make them wherever the cheapest location is. A lot of the times it's China. And the whole point of this is China is not a customer or a vendor or a partner. They're a rival for power in the world. And in fact, they see us as an enemy. And the idea that we would make anything important outside of T-shirts in China is, uh, is something that we have to, to put an end to. And, and Congress, the federal bureaucracy, is, seems completely unable to stop this. I mean, you'd think they'd be, I mean, last question, but 
Chuck Schumer, who's a well-informed person, he's been in the Congress his whole life, effectively. He must know this, right? He's not ignorant of it. He ha he's, he's not a stupid man. He knows better. So at the very best, it's a matter of looking at your big donors and saying, who's uh, asking me to do something, a favor for them, for their bottom line? Or, at, you know, there are senators that used to, uh, senators that helped create the Department of Homeland Defense that ended up lobbying for Huawei and for China and ZTE. So, you know, money talks, and China's figured out that they can reach people uh, with, with the dollar one way or another, whether it's through the companies uh, or, or directly. The scale of the betrayal is just awe-inspiring. John Pelson knows more about this topic than anyone I've spoken to ever. I appreciate your coming on. Thank you. Thanks, Tucker. So Riley Gaines spent 18 years as a competitive swimmer. She turned out to be one of the best in the country. She swam for the University of Kentucky. She is a woman by birth. Recently, she and her teammates were forced by the NCAA to compete against a man called William Thomas and to share a locker room with him as well. This is one of those stories, the Leah Thomas story, that you have doubtless heard of, but the details are shocking. Riley Gaines is one of the most impressive young people we've talked to in a long time. We talked to her today for a recent episode of Tucker Carlson today, and she explained what it was like watching William Thomas compete in the women's division. Here's part of it. People just weren't really talking about it. And so we get to NCAAs. Where is um, it? It was in, um, it was at Georgia Tech. Yeah. And so we get there and it's the environment is nothing like I've ever seen before. It was so like almost edgy. Like people didn't really know what to say, who to say what to, how to feel. Obviously I know how I felt and I knew how my teammates felt, but no one really wanted to talk about it. And so this was on day one. And then that night we watched Leah Thomas win a national title and blow all the other females completely out of the water and that next day we came back and the mood had shifted to where people were mad. Um, the girls, you know, there were tears. Um, these poor ninth and 17th place finishers who missed out on being named an All-American. Um, there's extreme discomfort in the locker room. There's, you know, kind of these grumbles. What, of, is he wandering around the women's locker room? <laughs> yeah. When, and that's not something, you know, we were forewarned about which I don't think is right in any means, um, changing in a locker room with someone who has different parts. Um, so they just set a dude loose in your locker room and didn't tell you. Exactly. And so I feel like to have that kind of forced upon us, so not only were we you know, forced to race against a male, we were forced to, to change in the locker room with one. And so it's just this feeling of like, what is happening? Like, honestly, like, is this really happening? Like, this is crazy. That whole conversation is on Tucker Carlson today, tomorrow, 7 a.m. on Fox Nation, and well worth it. So Pete Buttigieg is our transportation secretary, obviously doing a great job. Transportation system has never been better. Tried to fly in an airplane recently, ridden the subway. So naturally, Mayor Pete decided to share his victories with other countries. They have a lot to learn from what he's done. Not making any of this up, by the way. We've got details next. Okay, just an amazing day on Twitter. All right, so Rhode Island restaurant decided it was a, a good idea to post a meme referencing Anne Frank and it being hotter than an oven out there. 
So that's the Atlantic Sports Bar and Restaurant. It's harder than an oven out there. Picture of Anne Frank and I should know. Okay. Meanwhile, they're making pretty serious decisions at uh, NATO. Okay, imagine you're dying and this is what's playing in the background. And they have to listen to that. Okay, here's uh, Luciano Pavarotti cycling around his home while talking on a phone in 1990. And uh, Bay Area colonizer. I'm a Bay Area colonizer. Y'all think the British was cruel. Y'all haven't met Silicon Valley Asians. At least the natives have reservations. We got rid of 49ers twice. In Silicon Valley, you don't got to wonder, what type of Asians are you? It's not racist to assume we are all Chinese because no one sees Indians as Asians. But together, we colonize the colonizers. Shout out to Ali Wong. Every CEO here is Indian and every Chinese here is landlord. Together, we own white people. I mean, literally, my husband, whom is of British descent, pays me rent money, which comes from paychecks signed by Indian that generations ago was colonized by his ancestors. Karma is a bitch. Don't hate Asians, hate the guy. Powerful, powerful words. Okay, what's going on with uh, Baked Alaska? What was Jim, what the fuck was Jim re actually reading? Because I I've heard that uh, pl play a bunch of times, but I have no idea what he's talking. Uh, about. All right, so so there's uh, <laughs> he, he was reading off of Reddit, I think. Or I don't I don't remember from where, but it's guys that like you know grabbing condoms and squeezing the cum into their ass. And uh. they also yeah, they that, also like. Wait, uh, that's a thing. Uh, yeah, they also uh, like trying to get uh, oh. HIV positive. So Milo wants to catch uh, HIV, according you know, to this. They, they go out they purposely tr trying to. Why? Get the H. Why? British. Okay, well, I, I, I haven't really said this before, but so you know, I used to manage Milo, right? Uh huh. So that actually is, I've never told anyone this, but he actually would always say that to me. He was like, I hope I get, like, I hope I get HIV. Like, I really want to get AIDS. 
And I, I never really understood why, but I guess it's like some kink thing. Is that like an, that's like some actual fetish? Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently Milo has that. Cause he, he told me that he like wanted to get AIDS. And I was like, I was like, why? He's like, Oh, people will like feel bad for you. And all this stuff. I was like, great career move. I don't know. He probably already has it. He wants to become the ultimate cleanser, like uh, Magic Johnson. That magic will show us the way. All right. What I was saying, uh, and I try to teach this to my about white niggers and black niggers. Where is she? Stand up and say that if you don't mind, please. Yes. Very quickly, what I was saying, and I try to teach this to my children. We live in a Christian community, and looking around this room, the majority of these people seem like Christians, and they seem like God-fearing people. I want to say, if you're going to say nigger, which is a terrible word to me, you have to open it to both races, because black people and white people are the same inside. Nigger, if you want to explain it like that, there are some of those here today, other than Oprah. She's not a nigger. Sorry, Oprah. I didn't mean that. About white niggers and black niggers. Whoa, whoa, disavow, disavow. Okay, let's get a little something from Tucker Carlson. So it was just three or four years ago, you could kind of get on a plane and fly wherever you wanted in the country fairly cheaply with the expectation the plane would take off and land pretty much on time. That was the case for, I don't know, 50 years in the United States. Have you flown recently? If you have, you know, that's changed a lot. So we thought it'd be worth checking in at the Department of Transportation, which oversees all of this. Mayor Pete, who runs it, is back from breastfeeding. And he's out with a major announcement. And that announcement is striking fear into world leaders globally. Here's what Mayor Pete said. You've probably been hearing a good deal about how the Department of Transportation is using President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law to modernize our transportation systems. Today, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Momentum our department's new initiative to help countries around the world learn from our best practices and expertise in planning and modernizing transportation infrastructure. How out of touch are these people? How completely detached from reality are there? Well, Mayor Pete is telling us that he's been so successful, he's going to, quote, help countries around the world learn from our best practices and expertise in transportation infrastructure. Now, that sounds like a promise, but actually it's a threat. Anyone who's ever been in a subway system in a big American city knows just how scary that threat is. In New York City, for example, the biggest subway system, rats are now sliding down poles all the time. It's on video. Ooh, there's a rat. <laughs> Passengers, meanwhile, pulling slip and slides inside subway cars to twerk. You're seeing that footage on your screen right now. That's actually happening. Just today, one of our producers on the New York City subway going to work. In the span of just 90 seconds, he saw a man urinating on the mezzanine. He also saw a woman wearing a face mask, of course, writing F the police on the wall. So this is a success that Mayor Pete wants to export to the rest of the world. Yeah, man, I got to send that to the, send it to the governor, man. Let him see this this is what I gotta do. I gotta go to work in this. It's not making any sense. Mm. Nasty. It's nasty. 
There are countless thousands of videos just like that all over the internet, most of which we can't show you because they're too over the top. That is the largest public transportation system in the United States of America. So that's Mayor Pete's system. How's the rest of the world doing? Well, have you been on the Tokyo subway system? Everyone's well-dressed, they're clean, there are no pole dancing rats, the seats are cushioned, can't have that in New York because people just steal the cushions, they don't have graffiti everywhere, no one's shooting up, no one's pushing you in front of trains, and it's not just Japan. Been to the Seoul subway system? Here it is, pretty clean. Even Bangkok, which is larger than New York and has far more poor people than New York, has a very nice public transit system. You are seeing an image of a subway station on your screen right now. So if you are running a foreign country and Mayor Pete shows up with his slick-talking McKinsey talking points about momentum and we're going to share our best practices with you, our advice is hang up the phone immediately. Tell him to go back to fixing racist roads. You can't get away from that guy fast enough. Well, one major reason that New York City's subway is a disaster is because New York City puts up with it. Prosecutors have stopped enforcing the law, and so teenagers are free to assault police officers with no repercussions. The footage you're seeing now is from Saturday in the New York City subway. Watch. point where society disintegrates. You punch a cop in the face, you wrestle him to the ground, you put him in a chokehold, you go to jail, and then you're released immediately with no bail on your own reconnaissance. So why are we allowing this? And the bigger question, of course, is why are kids acting like this? It's becoming extremely common. In St. Paul, Minnesota, very young children just caught on camera berating cops. It's a hard video to watch when you think of its implications. Here it is. How'd that happen exactly? We know what will happen if it continues. Heather McDonald studies crime and has for decades. She's at the Manhattan Institute. She's the author of The War on Cops. She joins us tonight. Heather, thanks so much for coming on. All of these videos are connected in a sense, I think. What do they add up to? Well, I don't want to remove one iota of, of personal responsibility from the thug in the New York subway, Tucker, but his behavior is the foreseeable consequence of the last two decades of anti-cop rhetoric from the right. Democratic establishment. Just exactly. this May, Biden released an executive order uh, alleging that the criminal justice system was racist and that the police disproportionately kill, quote, black and brown people. That's a complete falsehood once you take crime rates into account. In fact, a police officer is 400 times as likely to be killed by a black as an unarmed black is to be fatally shot by a police officer. Nevertheless, uh, minorities are being given a license to hate and in a sense of entitlement to break the law. Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance, the previous district attorney, announced that he was not going to prosecute turnstile jumping because doing so has a disparate impact on minorities. Our current 
district attorney in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, has said he's not going to prosecute resisting arrest because doing so has a disparate impact on minorities. And the reason that this thug was on the streets at all after arrest recently for illegal gun possession and robbery was that incarcerating criminals for violent crime has a disparate impact on minorities. Uh, not because, though, the system is racist, but because there's highly elevated rates of violent crime among minorities. The system has decided it would rather protect violent criminals from the consequences of their actions than to protect law-abiding citizens from violent crime if doing so means incarcerating minorities. Now, Tucker, as you say, an attack on a law enforcement officer is an attack on the very basis of civilization. It's an attack on all of us. And murders of cops have been rising at an astronomical rate. 59% in 2021, another 13% increase in cop murders of cops this year through the first six months. We have to stop this rhetoric, turn it around, because it is going to pull down society even further into the anarchy that it's already experiencing. So nicely put. And that summation is a result of decades of, of research. So you know what you're talking about. Heather McDonald, always grateful to have you on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Tucker. So even Democrats are kind of over this. Who isn't over this? The majority of Democrats say they definitely don't want Joe Biden to run for reelection. Now, one of the craziest Democrats in Congress is on their side all of a sudden. Even she is refusing to answer, do you want Biden to run again? We have the tape next. Okay, amazing day on Twitter. This is a bloke named uh, Jacob Fauci. The situation is, and that's what I was trying to explain in that viral video, they're not coming back here. So your but position it, here is a political position to keep Palestinians out of it? Not to keep Palestinians out of it, to keep Jews in it. And therefore keep the Palestinians who were here out of it? No, not, that, that's not, no. That's, an un, that's, a, that's a necessary evil. Whatever situation is, and that's what I was trying to explain in that viral video, they're not coming back here. This part of the house for sure is lost. The second part of the house, unless there's some major miracle, is going to be lost. And they're not coming back into here. So whether I am here, whether I am not here, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, whether it's a monkey, whether it's a giraffe, they're not coming back into this house ever. I understand why they're angry at me. I understand why they dislike me. But I did not do this to them. I'm not doing this to them. And as I said, if I leave, I'll be replaced immediately. And I venture to think that whoever comes here is not going to be as easygoing as I am. Okay, so he's standing up for his own interests and his group interests. I'm so your position here is a political... I can't get uh, outraged about that. And uh, let's see what Dr. Fauci was saying a few years Many ago. Many scientists are beginning to believe that a vaccine against AIDS may be impossible to make and too dangerous to test. If you take it and then a year goes by and everybody's fine, then you say, okay, that's good. Now let's give it to... Of 500 people, and then a year goes by and everything's fine. You say, well, then now let's give it to thousands of people, and then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose, and then what have you done? Many scientists are beginning to believe. Wow, that's very different than what uh, Fauci's saying about the COVID vaccine. Okay, what the heck's going on in New Zealand? The most up to date information daily. You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, you can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. For that information, do feel free to visit at any time to clarify any rumour you may hear, covid19.govt.nz. Otherwise, dismiss anything else. 
We will continue to be your single source of truth. We will provide information frequently. We will share everything we can, uh, everything you are, else you see, um, a grain of salt. Uh, and so I really ask people to focus. The most egregious example of that appears to be this text which originated in Malaysia and has kind of a, has become a viral hoax in Australia and in New Zealand. How irresponsible is it the people that are sharing that news of a lockdown imminent in New Zealand? Yeah. And, and look, that's the kind of thing that adds um, to the anxiety that people feel. So I continue to share the message. New Zealanders must prepare. But do not panic. Prepare. And, and when you see those messages, remember that unless you hear it from us, um, it is not the truth. And I really ask people, just visit um, uh, covid19.govt.nz. It has all of the up-to-date information. And we will continue to provide everything you need to know. Okay, so obviously that's absolutely ludicrous. On the other hand, she is the prime minister of a country that is approximately one one hundredth the per capita death rate from COVID as the United States. Now, New Zealand has many advantages. It's an island. It's much easier to cut off the world, which essentially it did. But from the little I know, Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand prime minister, did a pretty good job against COVID. She locked the nation down. She prevented uh, foreigners coming in and spreading disease. Australia had 150th the per capita death rate of the United States. Maybe that had something to do with uh, COVID, not generally speaking, being a political issue in Australia. So there's much more of a sense of social cohesion, social trust in Australia compared to the United States, uh, just as there is in Japan and South Korea and Taiwan. Right? There's much more of a public-spirited we're all in it together approach while America is much more individualist and Americans, generally speaking, don't feel nearly as much in common with their fellow citizens as do Kiwis, Aussies, the English, the French, the, the Germans, the Japanese, the South Koreans. Let's get a little bit more here from uh, Mickey Kaus. Francis Collins, I think it was his name. Oh, God, but he's so high up. I mean, he's, he's head of the whole national, he was head of the whole national institutes of health, wasn't he? Could be. Anyway, the um, he's not the well, COVID there was, there was, CDC uh, one, the CDC one. Right? Yeah, Walensky. The, um, that was um, right. This, uh, that's what I don't understand. I mean, we, I, we talked about this. There was this article about how nobody was in charge, and Walensky would go off and make her decisions, and then Fauci and others would object. And somehow the Biden administration is about to fire Becerra, the secretary of HHS, because he's not taking a big enough role in the fight on COVID. But they don't need another cook. <laughs> they need somebody in charge. Uh, having right. Becerra weigh in isn't going to help things. It's going to make things more confused. Before all we know, Becerra said, "Look, they're handling it. They don't need me fucking around with them." Okay, that's from February. Let's go back to Liberal. Tucker. Of course, they'll defend him because anybody who dislikes Joe Biden is their enemy. But in real life, a majority of Democrats see this is not working at all, and they don't want Joe Biden to run again. That appears to include most Democrats serving in Congress. That would appear even to include Congresswoman Cory Bush of Missouri, who is by any definition a lunatic. Reporters asked Bush about Joe Biden during an interview at her campaign headquarters. This is amusing. Watch. Do you want to see Joe Biden run for a second term? She's got to go. Yeah, I, you know. That, that's an easy question. It's not going to take long. Do you want to see Joe I, Biden I don't run? want to answer that question because we have not. That's not. Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. Okay. Um, I mean, he's the president. And he has the right to, to run for a second term. Absolutely. That's good. Right but I don't want to. I don't. I don't want. I'd rather you not do that. Okay, answer so you get like... <laughs> <laughs> we'll say this about Cory Bush. She's the kind of person who kind of says it out loud. I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> Now, remember, Cory Bush has spent $400,000 in campaign funds on private security after defunding the police. So the reporter at some point had to stop asking the question because 
she's got strapped bodyguards around her. Well, a friend of the show, Charlie Kirk, has an important new book called The College Scam, How America's Universities Are Bankrupting and Brainwashing Away the Future of America's oh Youth. Charlie Kirk is the executive director of Turning Point oh, USA. No, he joins us it. tonight in the friend zone. Charlie, great to see you. The friend zone. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't take. No. Uh, and that would have been a very rational, patriotic thing to do, but he's paying a price. Mm. Uh, I don't think he'll really suffer. Mickey, you'll be happy to hear the Frazier has entered the room. That's very exciting. Um, hey. Have some respect. Robert okay. talking Frazier, to come here. You don't resort to Frazier this early in the, in the paradigm. Whatever okay. Well, we started taping a little late. Remember? No, Frazier's on his own clock. That's what we're all Frazier. into. We were told that. It, seems, it seemed to me clear that the Washington Redskins should have, what the, what the name should have been. Because what's, what's the biggest problem in our, and it's going to be like incredibly corny. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Washington um, Unity. The, um, uh, everybody's going to hate Washington Redskins anyway because they hate their owner who seems to be an awful person. So. He apparently is. The latest report is that they had some like event, like, you know, they had some team executives and shit. And so, they i was off on like some kind of retreat or something so they got prostitutes for the men and they told the female employee to stay down in the basement did you read that no that seems very considerate of them <laughs> <laughs> that's I, I hadn't looked at it that way not, but come to think of it that not like any corporate culture i've been in let's put that one what is the worst tell us some stories from your you've been in these macho corporate cultures no, right in, where they're just like no the only corporate culture i've been in is newsweek and that was i think relatively benign although women women did file a have to file a lawsuit to get it to the stage where i joined it in other words, women, I think, were treated a lot worse before they filed that lawsuit. Um, so, so do you think Jeff Zucker is toast, toast, toast? I, I think, I guess now if it becomes conventional wisdom that actually just started when this woman was in her early 20s and he's promoted her ever since. That's not going to stop his friend from hiring him as an advisor. No, I thought you, I thought you made too much of that. <laughs> That's why they're unhappy with the economy. But in general, right track, wrong track is, okay. is the problem was. It, this is a topic I wanted to talk about. Uh, why is the world so Everybody unhappy? thinks the U.S. is on the wrong track. Paul Krugman wrote a column about it, and he decided the problem was if they don't like inflation, but inflation doesn't explain all of it. The problem is right-wing partisanship, and Fox News is convincing them to be unhappy. Okay? And that seems like so inadequate a response. That's, Krug that's Krugman's line? Yeah. That's why they're unhappy with the economy, but in general, right track, wrong track is maybe more than the economy. People are unhappy with where they're going. I claim people around the world are unhappy with where they're headed. They're headed. They know where they're headed. They don't like it. Name me a country where people are happy that they're on the right track. Not the United States, not Great Britain, not, not most of the countries in Europe, not Russia, is it maybe China, I... but I don't think so. Maybe not for a large chunk of Chinese, too. Everybody is unhappy. It's a global phenomenon, and it seems to me it has much deeper roots than Fox News. Okay? And I, it's sort of obvious what the roots might be. The roots might be the way the economy is going. It's generating vast inequalities of income, which translate into social inequality, and we can't stop it from generating the vast inequalities of income without, without screwing up the economy, so people are stuck, and they hate the trend. It's... Uh, it might be the, uh, what I call the Michael Young pathway, which is we've achieved Michael Young's vision of meritocracy, and we've also achieved his vision of dystopia, which is everybody hates the meritocracy because it allows richer people to think they're better than everybody else and smarter, and maybe they are smarter uh, because that's what the meritocracy chooses. But people don't like that invidious. You know, they used to be rich and poor, and now they're rich, smart people and I, poor, stupid people. I think, people analysis, I think your whole analysis I think your whole analysis is too conventional. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I have two more factors. Okay. One is, uh, well, it's right. one is people spend less time in community, they're more monad, they're alone. So there's a problem of lack of community and all. Yeah, I think that's the number one reason that people are so unhappy. We've destroyed community with unlimited levels of immigration, with the civil rights movement, which makes it increasingly difficult to uh, select the type of people that you hang out with, that you work for, work with, that you employ, all right, who you rent to, right? The civil rights movement destroyed social cohesion and social trust. Huge amounts of immigration have destroyed social cohesion and social trust. And this destruction of community is the number one reason why people are so unhappy.
and this has gone on throughout the Western world. Also, loneliness. And all, all four of these things are happening. Right, and loneliness and destruction of community comes from this massive dislocation brought about by all these civil rights laws, which limit freedom of community, like freedom of association, and huge amounts of immigration, right? The more diversity you have, it means that people have less in common, right? Why celebrate diversity? It means that we have less in common. The more diverse we are, the less in common we have. The more in common we have with each other, the better we get along. And there probably may be others, but they're deep, powerful things that everybody hates and nobody is confronting them and nobody's confronting over the whole world and taming inflation and getting full employment ain't going to solve it. I think that's probably true. That's anyway, true. go ahead. No, I just Very think, uh, I mean, you were starting to get to it at the end. I mean, I just think you got to remember, this is like, this is a period of complete technological upheaval. And, and, and it does have some, you know, ramifications along convention. It's not technological upheaval. It's the destruction of social cohesion and social trust because people have a more difficult time forming freedom of community. We have growing crime rates and growing social dislocation. Lines like job displacement and all that, but it's also just a very texture of socializing exchange. And then the pandemic put this, you know, on hyperdrive or whatever. I mean, you know, it's like it we're being catapulted technology. into the future of virtual socializing. It predates technology. It's inherent in the idea of, uh, of what's now called neoliberalism, which is free trade and free immigration. And sure, we have a lot. Okay, so nationalism, as Leah Greenfield points out, means the inherent dignity of every individual. It also means that you are free to construct your own life. So it makes nations more competitive with each other. It also creates room for capitalism, which will create unequal outcomes. And some people are not happy with the lives they have created. And so they will increasingly retreat away from reality into mental illness. So the disease of nationalism is envy, right? Envy is going to be rife throughout nationalistic countries because nationalistic countries have freedom. When you have freedom, you have the freedom to screw up your life. Not a GDP, but you have to leave your mother and move to where the jobs are. You've broken the bond with your well, mother. Well, that goes back more than a century. I mean, that's right, like okay. Well, that's, that's the, the, like... the, 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 the Clintonites, and I was one of them. We embraced the, what is, the, uh, what, what is probably a libertarian view of, uh, well, we don't need those social connections. We, we just want individuals to succeed economically. And it turned out the, the vision in which individuals succeed economically and they leave mama back home is a empty vision that nobody was happy with. But that's and becoming less true. And they, didn't leave, and they didn't leave mama back home. They but stayed that's with mama and less, they lived in poverty. And that's going to become less true. Less true. Less true. Your location is going to be less specified by your job. We're seeing that with the pandemic. You can work at home. You don't have to move to Silicon Valley to work for whoever. You know. And, and another part of it, this is then, this is recent. Nobody is satisfied with Zoom interactions. Well, okay, but those aren't it's the social not. interactions I'm talking. I'm saying you can remain retain your your physical social hub and do the employment oh, okay. part by Zoom. Oh, okay. I don't think employers are happy with that either. They're not delighted, maybe, but you're seeing more and more of it, and you're gonna. I, I must mean, admit, I had we talked about our technical problem. I had very satisfying, satisfying, productive interactions with your far flung staff in Canada and wherever else. I didn't know where the hell these people were, but they weren't together in the same room. That's for sure. It wasn't too exotic. It was they were all either in America or Canada. Okay, well, that, that's quite a distance. That's enough. That's quite a distance from, from um, Brooklyn to Ontario. But they're nice guys who have been selected by you. So by a nice guy, he and uh, Jack Dorsey, who is no longer running Twitter, are I'm like the, comparing Mark Zuckerberg here with Jack Dorsey. The opposite. It's like Zuckerberg is a very smart guy with, so far as I can tell, no ethical compass whatsoever, and Dorsey is like all ethical compass and not the other part. Um, he's like Ron Klain. He thinks he's standing up to the left, and really, he's way too far on the left. Dorsey thinks he's standing up to the left? Dorsey was the voice of free speech in Twitter, and he got overwhelmed, and, 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 oh. you know, and, but uh, he thought he was standing up against the voices of woke cancellation, and in fact, he was way too far in their camp. But um, Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, but the metaverse thing, it, you're asking, is it going to be fragmented? I think it's going to be approached, yeah, it's definitely, 
look, Apple is going to make a play. Apple is apparently not far from unveiling all of their, uh, not virtual reality, but what's the term for it's And mixed reality is not exactly it, but you know, the, uh, oh shit. See, this is how, this is so what so I, I can, I can have my imaginary friend sitting next to me and everybody can see him. No, it's more like I'm looking at you in real time, but, uh, I also see, you know, it also next to you is your Wikipedia entry. So I remember who you are and shit like that. Oh God, I can't believe I can think. Anyway, mixed reality is, is halfway between virtual reality and the thing whose name I can't remember. It'll come to me. I can, I, and next to you, I can have a picture of you when you were younger and better looking. You could do that. But like the HoloLens, Microsoft HoloLens, you know, where, okay, you see your room. We're going like to bring you another Kamala Harris update, a person we're rooting for for president in 2024. Here she is. I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. <laughs> this is so... She's patronized everybody else now. She's patronizing blind people. Kamala Harris, play that tape again and again and again and ask yourself, should the Democratic Party be required to nominate her in 2024? Oh, yeah. Have a great night. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Tucker. This is Robert Wright and Mickey Kaus. You know, you can create objects in space. You can create monsters and shit, but you're still seeing basically the, right. same, uh, right. the, same, the same thing. Anyway, uh, Apple is coming out with something big on that. Microsoft's purchase of this big games company is supposedly a metaverse play. Um, uh, Google's not out of the game. So uh, we'll see. Um, Isn't it better to have bluegrass festivals and things where people actually create, use their idle time, which they're going to have a lot to actually create things? Wait. Make art. I mean, how are people going to, you know... The, you can, you the can make week, art in the metaverse. The work week is going to get shorter, uh, yeah. and people are going to, you know, vast swaths of people are actually going to be completely unemployed, especially if we get the guaranteed income. What do they do with their time? You would hope that they would use it creatively. Uh, none of these things sound like entertainment. They don't sound creative. You say they're creative? Yeah, they can be. I mean, even in, I think it was Second Life, which was kind of an early version of this. Do you know what Second Life was? Or it's probably still around. Yeah. It was basically, you put an avatar of yourself in this space, and it interacts with the avatars of right. other people. But even there, people would do actual concerts. Like I'm playing the guitar, my avatar, right. my avatar is playing the guitar and people would come and watch. Well, that kind of thing is going to happen. And it's going to be, e if, if, if what you create has a small audience, it's going to be in principle easier for that audience to reach critical mass because it doesn't have to be in your town. And the idea is it's going to seem more and more like they are physically there. Are you, are you actually playing the guitar? Or yeah, the yeah, you can. Playing, sure. But, but the machine is probably uh, correcting your pitch, right? So you never see well, You can have that now if you want. You can have it then if right. you want. Right. Yeah, it's like all shades. It's yeah. going to be able to do, you can't have a thing that plays, that corrects your misfingerings on the guitar, but you'll be able to have that in the metaverse. I'm sure that can be arranged. Um, uh, well, uh, it, it does solve some logistical problems, I agree. So I, I can see that. I mean, I just, you know. I'm still not looking forward given to Given what the current velocity of technical change has done in terms of unsettling social structure, I just sometimes wonder, is there any way we survive? I mean, is this the reason you never get visited by space aliens is you get to that level of technology and the whole thing blows up. I mean, even, you know, just everybody goes crazy. Now, it's another, another thing you missed in non-zero. I was trying to, fact, trying to be upbeat. What, <laughs> what's that? Um, but that is another component of why people aren't happy. It's too much change too fast. Oh, totally. Totally. Oh, augmented reality is the term I wanted. Augmented yeah. reality. Um, uh, what's the, who's the guy who says, you know, there's this point at which change has become so fast that it. The singularity. The singularity. Uh, the main guy is what's his name? Oh yeah. shit! My brain. Okay. What's funny but, is I was at a con I was at a conference called the Accelerated Change. Uh, what else did he invent? He's why do we? But what, do, does humanity survive the singularity? I don't. I, I Ray, forget. Ray Kurzweil. Um, yeah. The uh, well, that's the th the weird thing is that the singularity groupies, kind of a lot of them assume it's going to be this nirvana, and it's like why wouldn't you expect the opposite? The the I mean, if things go faster and faster and faster, that's the principle, right? Ch and, and this conference I was at that he that was his baby was called the 
accelerating change conference or something. And the funny thing, by the way, was that he wasn't actually there. He was going to appear remotely. And the tech got so screwed up that that didn't work. And he, they couldn't even get their, their shit together for that technically. But, but anyway, people like these singularity groupies think it's all going to work out well. Why wouldn't you think the opposite? Why would you assume that as things move faster and faster and faster, we, it doesn't all blow apart? I don't right. get it. Um, th- um, there was a, um, I saw this, uh, there's a documentary on Q, a little like 15 minute documentary done by a woman who's leading the Financial Times named Izzy somebody. John Ellis is a fan of hers. If we had links, I could link to it. But, um, it was, it was, first, I learned a lot about Q that I didn't know. Q and on? You mean Q and on? Q and on. It wasn't originally a right wing thing at all. It was, you know, CIA people supposedly grounded in military people who were uh, tattling on the, the, uh, the, pe- the elites who were re- really running things. It was slightly related, I think, to the Illuminati. One of the founders had written a, a sort of fake, a fake uh, conspiracy theory about the Illuminati running things, which he then came to believe, supposedly. Uh, it also had roots in a, uh, a game called Cicada, a coding game called Cicada. Like the insect? And, yeah, and uh, there was just a coding game, and they were both taken over by this mysterious Thomas Pynchon character. Right. He's not the guy who's in the not the Hispanic guy who's in the documentary. He's the guy who lost control of it. It's a tall, waspy-looking guy. Maybe it's a fake picture of him, but um, is he cute? He's very cute. It's like no, um, no. Is he cute? Is he cute? Is he cute? <laughs> no, he's not cute. He's the, he's, he's, the, he's the mastermind. He's the Q of Q. He's the mastermind. He's the medical. Uh, um, and uh, nobody's seen him. They don't know him. They don't know where he is. They don't know if he's still running things. Uh, so um. But her, 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 one of, she just tosses off this, why is Q popular? And her conclusion is, it's a cry for help by people desperate to believe in something more optimistic than the future that is currently carved out for them. And that seemed totally true to me. Yeah. But as she pointed out, it's, it's, it's not, most, most conspiracy theories are doomsday theories. You know, they're, they're defensive. We're fighting this evil cabal that's going to fuck up our lives, okay? This, this- well, I think believing in almost all conspiracy theories is signaling to the world that you desperately need help. It's the intellectual equivalent of uh, coloring your hair purple or red or green or some other unnatural color to let the world know that you're very, very sick. This is a conspiracy theory. Our lives are fucked up. We're fighting the evil conspiracy to save our lives. Uh, well, I mean, they're always, you're always fighting the evil conspiracy. It's just they had more confidence that the day would come when they prevail. I mean, there was this, this equivalent of like the rapture or something. Like they were guaranteed, right? The day was going to come when light prevails over dark. And that day turned out to be January 6th uh, right. for many of them. Um, but uh, yeah, but... but but they're not happy with the status quo. You know, if the evil people disappeared. Uh, uh, well, I think conspiracy theorists are often not satisfied with the status quo. Uh, okay. I can well imagine that the QAnoners are particularly unsatisfied. Um, um, they're, it, and they're, they're, anyway, I, I, so that dovetails with the theory that nobody's happy with where we're going. And one of, the, one of the ways to respond to it is to believe that Q will save us. Yeah. Um, the, the, other, the other less interesting question, which we brought up before, is did Donald Trump know that this was behind all the crazy people at the Capitol, or did he just think they loved him? Uh, well, what, what percentage of the people at the Capitol do you think were QAnoners? honors? I don't know. My guess, my rough guess would be a quarter. That's a lot. Ashley Babbitt was. I know. Um, well, I think I've talked about how obviously Steve Bannon knew and kind of flirted with him yeah. without. Well, and, and the idea was that they, would, they inserted cues in Trump's speech, but he may not have known what he was saying. Did they? He, he, what? Yeah, what? I think there were very mild cues, but if you were really looking for them. Q-C-U-E-S, C-U-E-S, you mean? Yeah, Q-Q-U-E-S, yeah. Some sort of, you know, Q language. I think he talked about the storm is coming, something like that. Huh. That huh. sort of thing. He probably didn't know what the storm was. He thought it was a nice image, right? Um, Who knows? Uh, so um, he didn't know Could what you the believe? storm I, I just, I mean, the shit is so crazy these days. Uh, You're sounding like an aging boomer. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, the fucking country's falling apart, and so is the world. I'm <laughs> sorry, but, I, I mean, look, this is far and away. Look, obviously, you were less freaked out by Trump than I was. You voted for him. Uh, so I, I felt this way four years ago, but. Uh, seeing now, just just like last week's revelations. Oh, we wanted to seize the voting machines, and just that's, seeing the number. That's good. Of people, it means the more the more people, the more people 
you know, are, are convinced that he's too crazy to be president, the better off we are. Yeah, but then see if this does a thing to his popularity ratings. No, we it probably won't. Won't. I, Like I said, I don't think it's that important. But um, uh, Well, I think it's important that, that news like this doesn't dent his ratings a bit. That's what... And Laponia says, yeah, there are low-level Italian mobsters who conspire. People are charged with conspiracy every single day, but conspiracies don't exist at the billionaire level. Things just happen in their favor. Well, I, I made the point a hundred times on the show that conspiracies happen all the time, but what is understood by the term conspiracy theory are conspiracy theories for which there's no evidence. Now, I understand you don't want to do the hard work of assembling evidence for this or that uh, conspiracy theory. People don't want to do the work, right? So they just uh, make stuff up. But uh, if there's evidence for it, right, it's no longer in the colloquial known as a conspiracy theory. Obviously, 9-11 was a conspiracy carried out by al-Qaeda. That's not what people mean when they use the term conspiracy theory. But, you know, it's wonderful to believe that, say, billionaires, they're the reason that the world has problems. If we could just uh, take care of the elite, then things would just be wonderful. Well, billionaires and the elite are just as flawed, no more, no less than you or me. But scary. I mean, and it's, we, it's just, we've had we have had eight, you know, five years where the six years where the media is like, this will get rid of him, this will get rid of him, and it's, it's always crazy because nobody people who like Trump don't trust anything the media says. Well, yeah, I've been a little more clued into that than many Trump opponents, yeah. I think. And, they, the, and, 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 and you know, but the Washington Post, I think we just really hit him hard on this. We're going to get him this time. No, they're not. They're, they're going to get him with somebody like Ron DeSantis or. Well, uh, not only that, it's the opposite. We keep hitting him, and it helps him. They don't. That's why, I like, that's why I like Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan would eat away a huge chunk of his base. If he ran. That's so funny. He, I'm sure the thought has crossed his mind. DeSantis, DeSantis has a harder time, but, um, you know, so far he's the only horse we got. Um, uh, but see, so, that is a sign of how crazy the world is that, like, it's like Zelensky gets elected president in Ukraine. Rogan, you know, it's like that is a sign of desperation when people put their hopes in these people who obviously have no relevant experience. Well, we put our hopes in Ron Reagan. And Trump, Trump's the same way. He had no fucking experience. Uh, he, he, we thought he had more experience as an executive than turned out he actually had, but. Yeah, but everybody knew that his executive style was a re- recipe for failure. We didn't know he would he would let his enemies choose the people to staff his administration that he would cave into Paul Ryan uh, immediately. Well, uh, but yeah, but, that's what happened. But I mean, um, the other disconcerting thing is is just watching Cold War II crank up inexorably for no good reason. But that's but, but, I mean, and this video was released February four. So Robert Wright here is absolutely right that uh, the Biden administration had no interest in preventing this war in Ukraine. They're they're playing. A game where they think it's great if uh, Russia bleeds out. They they think it's a good geostrategic move to encourage you know this conflict in Ukraine. Okay, Ukraine will either happen or not happen. As long as it doesn't have a nuclear war, it's it goes not beyond going. Ukraine. Okay, I understand. So beyond Ukraine, you think we're not going to have the we're, we're not going to be able to solve apocalyptic problems until it's too late? Is that the, your argument? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of those apocalyptic problems is global warming climate change okay they, they're developing a machine that sucks carbon out of the air it's like an air conditioner oh yeah you're right to talk about this carbon out of the air okay with enough of these machines we don't need the whole climate change bureaucracy we don't need the whole climate change initiative we just plug in a bunch of these machines liberals go home we solve the problem um uh you know, we also don't need world government we don't need the apocalypse aversion project you just plug in these machines they clean the air like you're like you're now, what's your plan for biological weapons no, I'm just, we, we're doing these problems one at a time. Yeah, but see, I have never, I have never emphasized climate, Mickey, I've never been a climate change obsessor. Never, never, ever. You can't find a time in my career a, when I was jumping up and down one of the things, One of the things that global... Of course I listed. It is one of the things. It, it, is, it is in the same case. Okay, so how are your monkeypox uh, lesions? I, I recommend this Bob and Brad uh, self-massager. So if you've got any... Oh, yeah, I was doing some chin-ups and uh, pull-ups today so my elbows are a little sore so if you got some monkeypox 
Brad's lesions. I, I really recommend getting this Bob and Brad, you know, vibrating massager and just just massage those those lesions like just really dig in there so you know wherever they pop up i mean absolutely anywhere just just dig in with this vibrating bob and brad massage gun and uh your your monkeypox legions your whole monkeypox problems will, will be a thing of the past so I, I don't know why the government isn't sending out these free bob and brad vibrators to everyone who, who needs one Right. This is this is the best defense against monkeypox, but nobody's talking about it. Why is there a conspiracy of silence against the Bob and Brad massage gun? It's so, it's so sad that there's a solution out there for your monkeypox lesions, but an absolute conspiracy of silence. You know, the so-called fruit salad, all the medals yeah. on the chest. He said talking about David. He Petraeus. wore a lot of medals that. You know, a lot of people would say it's just bad form. You're, you're kind of you get some bullshit medals and you're kind of, you know, and and, and uh, it's considered good form to not parade around with all of them. You know, I don't know. Alive in 65, that medal, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, huh. Well, anyway, it, it, it just it, it, it. I mean, there was a conspiracy theory, which is not implausible, that he was sufficiently popular. He could actually run against Obama. David Petraeus. Yet he wasn't sufficiently popular that anybody. Uh, I mean, what percent of the population would remember his name at this point? Ten? Well, I think that, that affair was a big problem for him. Uh, I, I mean, before that, he could have run, I'm sure. Uh, I assume Obama had his reasons to want to get rid of him aside from that. But it was a pretty compromising situation. Uh, you know, also, he, he, was, he was married at the time. The other similar conspiracy is, uh, did Bill Clinton bug uh, Teddy Forsman's plane when he was going out with Lady Di? Uh, God, you're yeah. way ahead of me on this. Well, Forsman was, at, at one point, he was like the, everybody's favorite capitalist. He, he wasn't in favor of mindless mergers. He was sort of against mindless mergers and he was, he was a policy wonk and, uh, you know, and uh, he was going out with Diana, the late, you know, um, who was, uh, I guess, divorced from Charles at that point. And uh, imagine running for president and your first spouse is Diana, okay? Tough to compete against. So if you're Clinton and you're paranoid, you want to know what's going on. And he thought his plane was bugged, apparently. Huh. And I wouldn't put it past Clinton since Hillary couldn't bug people at Rock. Why shouldn't he keep bugging people? So um, that's a, a conspiracy theory I like. But the, but the point is, at that level, people are very, very paranoid about, look at Trump and Biden. I mean, he, he calls up Zelensky and threatens him because he thinks Biden is his main rival. He wants to get him out of there. I mean, it's like very crude and, and schoolyardy, but that's the way those people think. Um, yeah, it's almost, you could almost get disillusioned if you weren't careful. Uh, but I've been so, very careful. Do, do we have any, uh, well, you need to have an affair with your a publicist. Huh. I mean, you know, somebody can get you on the front pages for like two minutes until your life falls apart. I'll work on that. Why don't we both work on that and see who succeeds first? Uh, the, um, uh, were there any reader comments? There are reader I, comments. I've mentioned, I mentioned the one that was very helpful to me. Okay, uh, that's a conspiracy theory that, that I like. Uh, Clinton afraid of a capitalist who was dating Lady Diana, so perhaps, perhaps did he have his, his plane bugged? All right, and uh, his his Mickey talking about why wokeness is going to win. So then we're how just toast. Gonna, how are they going to stop that? So we're just toast. Well, we're toast or we're not toast, but but not. It's sort of hard to change unless we want to make crisper. You don't think you can do anything to reduce the chances of that happening? Well, what would you do to reduce the chances? Well, you. Okay, wrong wrong link. I'm sorry. That's your intention, but I only right. glanced at it, and the argument was. I mean, I can find it while we're talking because it's. No, I, I found it. Okay, I will want to. The, the argument is that all these people are running around saying the the counterattack on wokeness has started. Uh, you know, what well, the tide has turned. Glenn Youngkin's been elected governor on an anti-CRT platform, and right. and uh, 
Chris Ruffo and Ryan Jardusky are running around the country electing conservative school boards, and wokeness is on the run. And this guy uh, was a very, obviously, a very smart guy. He's sort of the paradigmatic smart newsletter writer uh, named N.S. Lyons. L-Y-O-N-S. L-Y-O-N-S. We don't know. Writes, writes like a guy, but we don't know. Um, oh, what do you mean by that, Mickey? You mean, uh, you mean he's smart? Is that what you're saying, Mickey? His style is sort of alpha male Oh. I think. Uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, N.S. Lyons. Mm. Uh, so um, the, uh, he has 20 reasons why this is bullshit, why wokeness is here to stay, and we should prepare for basically a woke, wokeness for the rest of our lives, I think. I think that the simple way to get into it is just for me to quickly read the 20 reasons why wokeness isn't going away anytime soon. Okay, the first one, I'm looking at this too, bothers me right away. It's that one does not simply walk away from religious beliefs. You know, there's this tendency to denigrate wokeness by calling it a religion. God, you can call almost everything a fucking religion. I, I thought, but we have 19 more to go, so why don't I okay. read them all quickly? Okay. Because some of the other ones may be more persuasive. Okay? Uh, the void of meaning still hasn't been filled. I, there was a gaping hole of meaning in people's lives created by the uprooting forces of secular liberal modernity, and wokeness was one way to resolve it. But okay. The, uh, social atomization hasn't been reversed. Again, similar argument. Atomization is probably the inevitable byproduct of liberal modernity. So people will try to respond. You know, I, th- I think food trucks are going to solve the problem, but this guy thinks wokeness solves the problem. Uh, well, that's my point. That, that, is, that is an objection I have to a lot of this, I think, as I'm looking at it, is that, well, you can say wokeness is the response to this. You can say a billion other things are. Why are, why are they not going to last forever? Anyway, right. That ahead. was one of my big points. You yeah. know, stolen. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you better credit me. Mickey Cal thought of that only footnote. days after I first thought of it. The information revolution is still reverberating. Uh, I assume the information revolution led to a certain amount of wokeness. It certainly led to cancel culture. There is, no author- there, there is no authority anymore. Political parties can't choose their policies. Uh, um, I guess he argues that a small minority of committed people are running the parties. I mean, just to stop here, how much of this cannot be, if you, you, if you fill in Trump, Trumpism instead of wokeism, how much of this doesn't work? I think all of this works, right? Mm. So Trumpism will last forever and wokeism will last forever. That's what he's established so far. Okay. He's got 12 more to go. Okay. <laughs> uh, majorities don't matter. Uh, as Nassim Taleb has explained in detail, it's typically not the majority that sets new societal rules, but the most intolerant minority. Uh, okay. Um, personnel is policy. And there he makes the argument, which I think is true, is that, uh, oh, he makes that later. Sorry. Um, the, the argument being, you can tell the teachers not to teach CRT, but if you have a generation of teachers who've left ed schools determined to teach CRT, even if not in name, they're going to teach something close to CRT. And there's no way to stop them a short of firing wall, which they're not going to do. Um, all institutional high ground is still occupied by the woke left. Uh, long marches are long. So uh, you can't expect to reverse it without a long march of your own through the institutions. Uh, culture wars are generational wars, and the young are woke as hell, citing uh, Gen Z as, unfortunately, a woke as hell. Uh, although I note, only uh, 41% support censorship of hate speech. That means 59% don't. Or 50. Yeah, so, hey, we're winning. Um, the youth are still coddled and mentally broken. Uh, elite overproduction is still in overdrive. In other words, we're producing more college-educated people than we can employ. What are these people going to do? They're going to find great jobs for themselves as diversity counselors and other woke bullshit jobs. Uh, that's one argument. Uh, wokeness is still required by law. Uh, there are parts of the Civil Rights Act that seem to require a certain amount of wokeness. Um, money is still power, and the Ford Foundation still has a lot of it. Um, uh, only four more to go. The opposition is still only political. In other words, you can elect Glenn Youngkin, but you can't, that doesn't create the institutions that are going to generate anti-wokeness. Um, partisanship is still getting worse, and Wokelash 2.0 is entirely possible. Uh, none of the levers of power have changed or will change hands. And I think here he's talking a lot about the deep state, not necessarily who's governor. Uh, and Leviathan has woken. It may be that the uh, it's similar to the Chinese Cultural Revolution 
I guess he argues that people in power have, have, have uh, hmm, he's, um, I, 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 he, he, he takes us his text and Ibram Kendi article where he said there was an anti-race, he wanted an anti-racist constitutional amendment, which basically created a department of anti-racism that was responsible for pre-clearing everything that happened in society, basically. And he claims that that, that deep state is still there, even if not in name. That's his argument. Sounded better when I read it than when I read through it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sticking with my original. I haven't read it, but uh, just just that a, a whole lot of this could apply. So many of the things he sees as the conditions that gave rise to this and haven't gone away gave rise to a bunch of other shit, too, including the reaction against right. wokeism. But Trump Trump never controlled all the institutions of society. He only controlled the this not my, this political beachhead at the top. Um, so the analogy breaks down there. But I agree. One of the arguments is that, the, the, you know, if there's a crisis of meaning and crisis of loneliness, uh, the, solu- the wokeness is not the only solution to those crises. Other solutions to those crises, which should be solved, might uh, remove the cause of wokeness. So the solution to society is the solution to wokeness. I mean, also that's like where, that's uh, where the food trucks come in. Also, like I have some questions for NS Lions. Like, what is the top-rated cable news channel? What is the top-rated podcast? You know, uh, Fox and Joe Rogan. Interestingly, don't share the same ideology. Rogan's not nearly as right-wing as not in the, in the way that Fox News is, but they're both very anti-woke and they're doing okay. Um, but, I, you know, but, but he, I, he, it would be completely compatible with the thesis to have a thirty years war between the Fox News and the woke people. So the mere existence of Fox News doesn't disprove uh, what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just means the war is not going to be resolved. Uh, and it, um, I guess he, he seems to expect a huge amount of persistence and long-term planning and uh, you know indefatigability on the part of the woke. That's sort of at odds with the uh, first. It's at odds with modern society's tendency to do everything faster than used to happen in pre-current societies. Right, uh, second, second, there's um, you know there's a natural tendency of youth to revolt against. The predecessor generation. So, right. they're, they're, so what if you know the argument would be? So what if there are all these teachers running around making elementary school kids go on privileged walks and identify by their you know racial identities? When has what elementary school teachers have taught kids ever really took? You know, all the nuns teaching Catholic boys not to have sex. How did that work? Uh, I don't think it worked very well. So uh, I could see where educational schools self-selecting for woke people who are going to want to become teachers would produce a whole bunch of woke teachers. I don't see how those teachers, when they go to elementary school and try to transmit their ideology to sixth graders, are going to have the same amount of success. Uh, we'll see. And, yeah. and the existence of Gen Z is a, is a bad example for me because it's, it is woke as hell. And I terrify what happens when they're a third or fourth, half of the workforce. That's his best argument. The, you um, you anti workers are so fucked because Gen Z is going to roll over you. I mean, on his side kind of is the fact, at least at the college level, institutionally, tenure does tend to slow the rate of change. On the other hand, you know, I, I think the extent of wokeness in universities may be overstated. I was talking to a political scientist at Princeton. There was this letter that went around that got a lot of faculty signatures at Princeton, more than you'd think. A couple of years ago, you probably saw a uh, reference to it, um, you know, because one thing it said was like uh, sabbaticals uh, should depend. Well, it didn't put it this way, but the length of your sabbatical should depend on the color of your skin. It did say that people of color should have longer sabbaticals or something. And I was saying like, uh, and I knew somebody in philosophy, a professor in philosophy, who said that there were graduate students. And this should this should alarm. This is consistent with NS lines or graduate students telling him they never speak to him again. If he didn't sign the letter, this is a tenured professor they're talking about. He was not on the side of the letter, but apparently in his department, he was a minority. But this political scientist said, oh, yeah, well, philosophy has gotten pretty woke. But in my department, he's like in political science, not even close. It's like nobody, you know, nobody was taking this seriously. So uh, but, you know, the, the, the people who get the publicity are the people who sign the letters. Right. Because that's what seems new and weird. But it's far from being like a university wide well, thing. It's, it's just it, it is just hard. to. There's a mystery here because it's hard to believe that these up and coming generations are woke just because they were taught that by their teachers. I mean, when has like I said, when right. when have students ever said, oh, my professor told me to be woke. So I'm woke. There has to be some other underlying cause, whether it's their coddling or fragility or something there. Okay, good discussion there between Mickey Kaus and Robert Wright. 
So why does college demoralize and demonize young white men? I agree. I think college, you know, this should be the waste of time. It, for, for young white men, I think, especially, it's so demoralizing and, and demonizing. I mean, I'll just give a quick story. You know, I come from a public school in Tennessee, right? I mean, everyone here is pretty normal, sure, whatever. I go to college my very first month. I try to participate in this, like, debate tournament, whatever. They tell me, they say, you can't participate because you're white. This, this tournament's only open for BIPOC, which is, like, black, indigenous people of color. I'm like, what? And, you know, I, I hear these stories in the news, but I assume it's, like, isolated to, like, one or two places, like Berkeley or Yale. I go to University of Chicago. It's supposed to be a bit more of a smart kid school. And my first month, I'm, I'm banned for being white. Uh, and that's like, what? So I, I, I do want to ask you, you know, you see this, like, anti-white sentiment, and it's so, it's so pervasive. It's, so, it's just so common nowadays. Why do you think, like, they're so focused on bringing down young white men? Like, what is it about young white men especially that they really just want to destroy? Well, I mean, what's the end game here? I mean, kind of like, what's the next step? If you isolate people on the basis of the race and attack them, kind of what are your plans, actually? I mean, if we were doing this to any other group, we'd be like, whoa, wait a second. You know, we're moving toward hurting people, obviously. You know, like, we don't like Malaysians. And if you're Malaysian, you can't participate. And, you know, check your Malaysian-ness. Well, I think people who are Malaysian would be like, I think maybe they want to hurt me because I'm Malaysian. Like, why wouldn't you conclude that? Like, so what actually is the end game here? I don't, I don't think it's, uh, <laughs> I don't think this ends in a good place at all. And I don't know why people put up with it for a minute. We had a, a really good system that I grew up under, which was we're going to try. So a mild level of resentment serves you because, for example, let's say you're, you're being demonized as a young white man in the corporate sector or a college. Well, it gives you a purpose it gives you community right and it clarifies reality for you so a mild to moderate level of resentment probably serves you but walking around with a huge level of resentment is likely to make you less happy and less effective so everything is a matter of proportion some resentment right some annoyance often serves you but when you dial it up too high starts inhibiting you knowing that we're going to fail in some cases but we're going to try as hard as we can to be colorblind and to be meritocratic judge people by what they do not how they were born we've got a whole monument on the mall that is testament to that single idea you're judged by the content of your character not the color of your skin you know again kind of hard to live up to that most of the time but trying is 50 percent, and actually you can get you can get pretty close and we've moved in the opposite direction. And I just won't put up with it at all. I mean, why, I don't understand. People are so, it's so interesting. I watch these people. And like, these hostage videos. I'm a white guy. Like, I can't even understand that level of self hate Yeah. So this is Imagine opting for something. I'm interviewing Tucker Carlson. Race. The few I think I lost you just a second. Sorry about that. Is the Wi-Fi okay on your side? I cannot hear you. I think your microphone is turned off. Come on, guys. I'm trying to produce a high-quality show here. I yeah. Mean, it is so funny to me. I, let me share another story. Um, you know, my school invites all these, like, political characters, like uh, Bill Crystal and uh, uh, David French, right? So David French came once <laughs> And I was sitting there, and it got to the Q&A section. And I don't, I don't remember what I asked him, but I brought up your name. I don't even – I don't remember what. And it was in a positive light, whatever. As soon as I brought up your name, he, like, looked at me. He, like, stared at me. His body posture became all limp. He looked like he was terrified, and he just cut me off instantly and said, Tucker Carlson's a white ass was racist, blah, 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 and just filibustered for, like, 10 minutes straight. <laughs> and the reason why I bring that up is I find it so funny how, like, you're just a normal guy. You just got out of the sauna. These guys, you know, brag about how much wealth they have, all these, you know, fancy accolades they have. And it's like, do you think they despise you because of just how, like, 
normal your life is, how you <laughs> spend time on the series. Like, it just seems like it's such a detachment, and it's so funny how these guys, like David Friends, Jonah Goldberg, whatever, they just despise you by your mere mention of your name. It's the funniest thing. It, it is funny. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I know all of those people from my previous life. I, I never had any problem with them at all, but I know them well enough to know the sort of limits of their intellect. And I do think imposter syndrome plays a role here a little bit. If you're Bill Crystal and your metier is Twitter, you know, and your whole life is basically a pose. It's a, it, it's, it's a masquerade. You're, you're playing the erudite Harvard professor, but the problem is you're not actually erudite. So you quote Aeschylus, but you've never read Aeschylus and you maybe throw a French phrase in, but you actually can't speak French yeah. and you talk about books, but you've never even written a book before. And yeah. you actually can't write clear English prose because you're not smart enough. So, and that's true for all of the guys that you mentioned. They're just not that impressive. Now, there are some people I disagree with who I think are really smart. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not a ton, but some. Andrew Sullivan, who I detest as a person. I think he's a genuinely kind of bad person. He's really smart. I mean, he is really smart. I, I will say that. He's smarter than I am. Um, and, and there are others. But Bill Crystal, <laughs> Bill Crystal's like a full midwit. And then the other ones, I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, whatever. I'm not even interested. But what's so interesting, yeah. what is interesting, is the whole racist thing. Mm. And, and it took me like probably five years to figure this out. But white liberals, when criticized, oh, yeah. accuse the person criticizing them of racism. So that's what it actually is. So I'm, I've been called racist so much that at some point you're like, am I actually a racist? I'm, and I've thought about it. Am I, am I a racist? Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, I'm not. If you were to sort of look inside my heart and identify all the people I'm legitimately mad at, they're pretty much all white. I'm not mad at black people. I never really have been. Yeah. So I always, and I'm going to do this from now on. Next time, David French, or David, what a ludicrous figure, but like David French, like, you're a racist. Like, no, actually, I, I hate you. Mm -hmm. And you look just like me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, race right. has nothing to do with it. I have pure contempt for you and other white Okay, here's a good uh, Putin joke that apparently may have told Zelensky, Mickey Carlson. <laughs> that right. So Vladimir Putin supposedly told this joke oh, oh, to, yeah. to Zelensky. Mm -hmm. And uh, this show here was recorded February 11th of this year. And I have it here because Zelensky was complaining about the Minsk Accords, which I guess Ukraine signed but now doesn't like. I guess because they give too much power to Eastern Ukraine, too much independent that power. That would be a reason. I, I think they, they may, in effect, give Eastern Ukraine the right to veto a decision to do something like join NATO. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And Putin said, whether you like it or not, or don't like it, bear with it, my beauty. Uh, which was taken <laughs> that was a mean, reference to, right, to what? It was, take, it, was, it was taken, I mean, you know, when rape is inevitable. But then it was interpreted as something more than that, as a reference to a rock song by a group called Red Mold. When something's inevitable, you might as well like it. Not such a good band name. Uh, which the lyrics are, sleeping beauty in a coffin, I crept up and fucked her. Like it or dislike it, sleep my beauty. That's a little cruder. Um, and, of course... Why would Putin listen to a rock group called Red Mole? That makes no sense. Uh, so they denied it and said he was just referring to folktale. Is it a Russian group? Yeah. Uh. Red Mole, that's the red. Oh. Anyway, um, uh, but uh, the lyrics directly imply rape and necrophilia. Uh, but uh, he said he was talking to the, the, the Kremlin, said he was referring to folktales. And I wonder what kind of folktales they were. There's some. Yeah, folktales about rape and necrophilia. All right, you're probably wondering. Where does Richard Spencer stand on the totalitarian national security state? So, you know, I, you have to, when you say things like, if you say things like, I'm anti-war, or I don't think we should be abroad or whatever, you, you kind of have to have an alternative. And the Ron Paul, the, you know, again, I like did some work for Ron Paul in 2008, 2012, I was off that libertarian bandwagon, but I did some of that stuff. I was animated by that stuff. But his alternative is we just bring all of the military bases home and that basically people will get along. So it's like, 
the United States creates conflict or something like this. And if we remove the footprint, that there'll be more peace. I, as I, I think I always felt this way, and I certainly felt this way when I was a lot younger, and I, and I feel this way now. I just think that that's an extremely naive conception of human nature, for one, and for geopolitics, for, you know, secondly. And conflict is natural. And there actually are a lot of benefits uh, to there being a global hegemon that is able to police, you know, shipping lanes and so on. And there's always going to be one. And I would much rather, whatever you want to say about the U.S. empire, I would... And so far, I agree with every word Richard just said. Infinitely rather it be the U.S. than China or some other thing. I mean, I, I could imagine things dissolving and we see a situation like Afghanistan where, you know, primitives with 80 IQs are just beating people in the streets and so on. I mean, I could imagine, easily imagine a much worse scenario. And so all of this, like, bleeding hearts about you know, I don't know, some people are killed by drone strikes or something. I am just, I guess I'm just kind of over it. And it's not ultimately who we are. I mean, as I said before, if I were in power, like I would absolutely have a totalitarian national security state <laughs> that would involve like surveillance of the world's population. And there were, there would certainly be many times when, you know, interventions would have to take place. And so just to kind of like say that we could leave the world of reality and enter some kind of like peaceful world, it just strikes me as is based on like a fundamentally wrong understanding of human nature and of geopolitics. Well, let me ask you a question. Bro. Okay, so that went a little far for me, but uh, I'm I'm sympathetic with the sentence. Um, supporting Austria outright at all. I think you, it's easy to say I wish. And, uh, uh, but uh, a lot of people feel that it was uh, kind of the uh, death cry of the Western civilization that it, it did. I do, I do, it's not that I, I mean, it's easy to say I wish there were no wars, but there were many people who bear some blame for World War I. I actually don't blame the United States for instigating World War I at all. I think you could blame Britain to a degree. Now Ferguson has this. I think Russia mobilizing, you could blame. Uh, Germany um, supporting Austria outright, so-called. Okay, great news on Twitter, Jelaine Maxwell has been relocated to a low-security Florida prison where she can teach yoga and participate in talent shows. So the news is an all grim. Blank check. Um, I think that's problematic. But it's not so much that I wish World War I didn't happen. I just, you know, take a different side on that conflict. But, um, you know, I do think that these, I mean, we're going to probably see something Wait, he like takes World a War I again side. in our lifetimes. So he's not on the American side. He's not on the Anglo side. He's not on the English side. He's on the German side in World War One. Well, it was I mean, it it just is what it is. One uh, was uh, had various uh, causes, but I think the one uh, one thing that made it happen was a real belief that, uh, kind of like what you're saying, that uh, uh, a military uh, government that uh, you know values. Uh, values conflict and uh, that imperialism is the highest value. Those, those were the kinds of values that on all sides made it very easy to, to step into it. And uh, the outcome- But imperialism is the highest value. <laughs> well, that may be true, but uh, it's also uh, to the extent that you can- analyze Sometimes imperialism is the highest value, right? If your nation state depends upon expansion and exerting some imperial rule, for its survival, that obviously will be incentivized to do that. Sometimes uh, trying to become an imperial power is against your, your best interest. So it's not like imperialism's always the answer. And since World War II, 
taking over other nations has been pretty severely frowned upon. I suppose you might be able to learn from it. Can I just yeah, ask one thing? Who dominates yeah. the planet is the question. And it's not, it's not really quite like, should we have war? Should we have peace? It's who's going to dominate? Who's going to assert their will on every molecule of the planet? That's exactly and, what, what, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Richard, but yeah, that yeah. is exactly one irony, I think. And look, I have mixed feelings about U.S. foreign policy. I have many criticisms of it, but. Sure. So what the heck happened to Patrick Little, All right? What's uh, Pat Little doing these days? Justified on the basis of denazification, you know? And Putin has explicitly said that he is, you know, Russia is a multi-ethnic empire and all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't know how you can argue that Putin wants a revival of the white race. It's purely so just I'm sending through. a link. If you see the link just now, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I see that. So I just, I, yeah, I just sent it just now. I'm just curious of you, Richard, like how fluent you are in that language right now, because I can't, <laughs> I can't watch a lot of his stuff. I can't watch. Yeah, to me, that jumps out as being like of the, the first link. Like, of course he does. That's no, interesting. I, he's not, isn't he no. not a racialist or even illiberal? No, he is. like a... Oh, I just thought he was just an anti-Semite and like <laughs> yeah, nothing else. I know that was an accusation by a lot of people is that he wasn't like full on Pat racially conscious or whatever. But I mean, he did, he did these whole like uh, walking around in li particularly liberal areas, I believe it was with the whole um, like, it's okay to be white. Uh, well, I, that's not, I still don't think he's a racialist. Like I could see him saying something like that, but uh, Lauren Southern said, did the, it's okay to be white thing. At the very least, he's very like, yeah. he doesn't have a, a ton of a worldview. He's always, whenever, I forget how much of the vote he got for, I don't know if he ran for, I think it was a state, not state. I think he, like, he did get a considerable amount of votes though, compared to, it was all Muslims. Look at, huh? He got like I, Muslims and then like some anti-Semitic blacks. He got like 15% of like his district. Um, That's remarkable actually. No, he did get a lot was, of votes. Did he really get? It was something like, like that I like never thought. That someone like that could have gotten, I'll try and look into it. But I don't know, Muslims, uh, he's very popular with the Muslims. Yeah, as I recall, he got 70,000 votes in the Republican yeah, U.S. Senate primary. Yeah. And he that was, is really he, remarkable. Yeah, and he was like, uh, as Max was saying, he was explicitly. I think he's really, really intelligent. To, to I, was, I mean, there's people that, that make all these accusations. Oh, he's a fed. Oh, he's this, he's that. I think he's really, really intelligent. I mean, I've I actually talked to him before. Certainly not I haven't, I haven't met him in person, but I've talked to him over the phone and went on and he doesn't he actually doesn't buy into I've a lot had, of had Pat Little again on my like show the schizo stuff that a lot of well, seems okay like kind of a right clown, now no. well yeah, okay I don't know that. if I phrased it right I don't know if here. I phrased it right okay yeah I don't his, know if I that, it right, that like I mean, Jews Jews rape holding up signs saying Jews, yeah, rape, Jews kids, rape kids that is like really spurgy that, that like is a fen like I think there are people on 4chan that would be like cool it <laughs> well he's just kind of a clown I, I don't know if he is a conspiracy theorist or anything, but it, I, don't, I don't even know if I'm a like, cartoon person. I, I, don't, that's, I mean, yeah, maybe you call that spurrier agitation if you're going to make that example, I guess. But I mean, is he completely wrong, though, in regards to religious? God, <laughs> yes, he's completely Aping wrong. children? That's, what? You, well, what? I mean, yes. I, don't, I mean, what? Okay, I'm saying, yeah, the way he phrased it, I'm saying might sound outlandish and it's supposed to be uh, sort of bombastic or whatever. But I'm talking, no, I mean, like religious Jews, right? I'm saying like, yeah, birds, are they raping kids, rape. right? I, I, like, are they systematically raping white children? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they are. No, I do I'm, think I'm that just saying, I'm just saying like the, crazy. I'm just saying like the, yeah. in the synagogues themselves, right? Isn't it quite common like, in no. the synagogues? Like, like, are you talking about like the bris or something? Yeah, or? yeah, I'm talking about that. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Um, that's not rape. That, see, do you see how like being anti-circumcision, uh, which I am anti-circumcision, I ended the cycle of circumcision in my family uh, with my son. That is now 
Yes. But like, yes, but claiming I'm circumcised. I will. Yeah. Don't want to get too personal here, but um, I don't, I'm not, I do not hate my, or I don't have any problem with my parents for doing that to me because that was the norm um, in America. It's very different in Europe, um, but that was the norm and in, in whatever, but I'm not going to like claim that that's rape. <laughs> no, mean, no, no. I'm against with circumcision. The... Well, yes, I, I know what that rape... is. Oh, yeah, okay. Where they put yeah. their they like put their mouth on that. Yeah, I get it. But like, yeah, still, that's not rape. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Like, of all the problems with Judaism, that's not one of them. And like, are you going to go? I mean, like, I'm sorry, but all of this like rumor talk and things like that. Like, you know, are you going to, you know, focus your lens on the Catholic Church or Protestant churches, particularly in um, in the United States, but particularly when these Protestants go on these missions, and you have like a lot. I mean, a lot of abuse. Uh, sexual and otherwise of people they are supposedly saving. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, let's just be honest here. Let's not just, I mean, I'm sorry, but like, you can't just like, of all the problems I have with Judaism, like the, the weird, first off, there are really awful people who are attracted to organized religion and they see it as a just clear way to have power over others. And that is what it is. It's a big problem ever, but that is rampant in Catholicism. That is rampant in Protestantism. Um, I don't know what to say. Like, of course, it's rampant in Judaism as well. But like, the problems I have with Judaism are like, and Christianity is is like the thing itself. I mean, you don't need to tell me that a rabbi like abused a child. Like, all I have to do is read that thing, and I'm like, this needs to be See, I overcome. <laughs> go ahead. The, the whole Spurgey. Okay, yeah, you can go. No, no, go ahead, Carmichael. You're fine. Okay, I was I was gonna say maybe the non schizo part. That I'm thinking that um, the not schizo that Pat Little, Little potentially didn't really buy into, aside from you know, like he didn't go with QAnon stuff. Right. Um, the voice and of so the other one is actually, to be honest, and I'm I'm pretty embarrassed to, to say so, but it was I let's see, it was when was it 2016 maybe? So I voted Trump. And Appel says 2022's big lesson: everybody wants to save the environment until they can't power up their precious online devices and i was actually um not QAnon level but i was into a little bit of maybe schizo stuff with 5g technology vaccines and all that stuff and that was In 2020 actually... yeah so wow marginalized movements tend to attract marginalized people like this man no not 2020 that was in like 2016 i would say and oh, so wow. I did all of this. Yeah, stuff, I, all of that stuff predated 2020 among Trump supporters. Yes. I didn't even know that. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so, he did announce his campaign on Alex Jones, or maybe not announce it, but he like threw in his hat with Alex Jones pretty early. So that doesn't really surprise me. I didn't even know 5G was announced at that time. But go ahead. But yeah, so anyway, I, I was sort of, I guess, sort of spurgy. Yeah, I mean, Trump was doing shout-outs to the QAnon movement in his speech. Myself on the whole, oh, there's 5G and everything. It's going to, you know, it's so dangerous, and, and you know, vaccines and all these different crazy. I don't know stuff which maybe maybe you can have a slight skepticism of it still but anyway i had that did i did i help you get out of that little uh yes i think so <laughs> wow well, so, I, you're welcome but <laughs> yeah i mean uh, yeah so in high school Rich i did, I did this now, a lot. Mm-hmm. and um so i had this discussion over the phone with pat little he was doing like these call-ins or whatever it was actually on his boat it was, i mean it was kind of kind of badass looking he was like literally on like the sunset and he's like taking calls um and he was, yeah, he was doing a live stream and I called in and I, I actually don't even know if that's archived. A lot of his archive stuff I can't find anymore, but um, I had that discussion with him about like, oh, 5G and vaccines, isn't that, you know, that's controlled by Israel. Isn't that, gonna, isn't that so concerning or whatever? So he didn't buy into that stuff. And I think 
that was my period where I started swaying away from all the Alex Jones stuff. And then, and then, I mean, that's when you sort of came around yourself, right? As far as coming into the picture and. Interesting. Yeah. I've always just been allergic to the stuff. I, I, I kind of didn't, I would joke about Pizzagate and stuff like that, but I never like promoted that, but I see now like how that Pizzagate and all that stuff in 2016 was just the beginning of like the right wing descending into yeah. madness. Even if there was truth to it, I mean, it would just made the movement so fucking insane that you just don't yeah. want to touch it, you know? It, yeah, I am glad though. Like, like you said earlier, you were like, oh, did, did, did I save you from that sort of stuff? And I would say considerably, yes, I would say probably because, you know, looking back at it, you know, that's kind of cringe, I guess, that I followed that stuff. But I mean, it was just like, I guess that was the journey and whatnot. Well, I mean, I, I told this story on one of these shows and I, I told it on like the show that Ed Dutton and I did. I mean, the the level at which normal people have just been like driven mad. And I don't just blame Russia for this. I mean, I, I do think that Russia exacerbates it and makes it worse and, and amplifies it, but I don't think they caused it. Or, and I do think it would be happening even if Russia were, you know, trying to propagandize China or whatever. Um, I, like I met this, this brief encounter with this like seemingly normal woman and just reading her like manifesto. I was, oh, I, remember, like, I was hearing about, yeah, I was hearing you are <laughs> fucking insane. Like you are ostensibly totally normal and reasonable. And the second you sit down and put pen to paper about what you actually believe, you are an insane person. And I, I just, I, I do feel like that ability of the mass, the mainstream media to kind of like keep people on track. Well, people have this desperate search for meaning. I think that's what's driving the the bizarre conspiracy theories that people used to get meaning from their families and their community and now family and, and community is being considerably weakened and so that traditional source of meaning is not there for many people people used to get their source of meaning in large part from religion but religion has been incredibly watered down or completely left behind so traditional sources of meaning have departed people we live in a much less magical world and so people are desperate for meaning and magic. like even if we can be like oh i hate walter cronkite or you know the main they're hegemonic media i mean this goes back to a lot of what i was saying about the american empire it's like once that starts to break down you end up in just madness basically and once they once they look to, to facebook as an authority their ability to be controlled is just frightening i, now I don't know what to say Go ahead. Well, that's where the whole freedom. Yeah, that's where the whole discussion of like is freedom of speech legitimate. That's where that question comes in. It's not. Yeah. Um, but uh, legitimate in the sense, like, is it something that we should genuinely value? No. I mean, every <laughs> society controls discourse. Like religion. I mean, this is a one insight, crucial insight of Mark Roman. It's like religion, journalism, film, opera. Like it is one thing. It is yeah. you know you should just use one word for it, whether it's like media or art or whatever, like or or. or Wow, what an insight there from Mark Brahman. I would say that uh, movies and newspapers and uh, religion are all quite uh, quite different entities. But yeah, at the same time, all right, just because I see all these differences between these media, you can also see similarities. So just because you see similarities between institutions doesn't mean that you also don't see considerable differences. But uh I think the differences between movies and religion are immense. Or like it is one thing. And like the second, like all of this, these things are declining, you know, in America and the West, you know, in general. Uh, could Luke take a vacation without a smartphone? 
I would not like it. I mean, I'm happy going without a smartphone for a day or two days or even three days. But more than that, I would uh, I would miss my smartphone. Now, uh, Apple lets me know how much time I spend on my smartphone. It's like an hour or so a day. So I'm not uh, constantly picking it up and checking it. Altogether, like basically church going is collapsing trust of the mainstream media, just watching the nightly news, reading a mainstream newspaper, all of these things are collapsing altogether. And there's this tendency where we're like, oh, this is great. You know, like now they'll listen to me or whatever. It's like, no. <laughs> I mean, even in, even in this, yeah, even in the German, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but in this, you know, in the painter's book, if, if you catch the my drift, there is talk yeah. about media <laughs> explicitly. There's like, I remember, I don't know if it's a specific chapter, but it's talking about the, during the Weimar era, era of Germany, right? Where, there's less and less trust of the media because of how corrupt it was and whatnot. And there was talk about how, you know, that there is a problem with having less and less trust in the media. And even if it's corrupted or whatnot, that it's like, you, you still have to keep a radar on it and understand that it's not that a hundred percent of their stuff is false. That they were. The, the painter's book. Okay. I hadn't heard that one before. So yeah, you have to understand everything critically, understand what's the agenda Who's writing something? For whom are they writing? What are the incentives that they're operating under? And my favorite way of getting to the truth is looking for what goes against the tendons. So that's a biblical scholarship turn against the tendons. I mean, you find an ideological perspective of a piece of writing, and then that information which is relayed in the writing is much more likely to be true as opposed to those details which go with the ideological tendency. So when, for example, Republicans admit that the Democrats are right about something, okay, that's not a normal thing for Republicans to do, so it's probably much more likely than normal that the Democrats in that particular area are right about something. When you notice Democrats admitting that Republicans are right about something, then it's above average normal that the Republicans are right about something. So someone who's a communist who comes out and recommends that, uh, yeah, there are some advantages to capitalism or someone who's a capitalist and he comes out and says, oh, but uh, socialism in these times and places is a good idea. So one way that I try to decode reality and kind of make sense out of all the sources of information that are available to us is listen for what is dissonant. Okay, listen for what goes against the ideology of the institution or the individual who is relaying something. And that which is dissident, and that which is dissonant, and that which goes against the tendency, the ideological tendency of the individual and the institution, that's more than average likely to be true. That's it. Bye-bye.